Children's Church, you can dismiss them at this time out to the foyer. Your teachers will meet you there and and we will uh, take care of them until the end of the service and teach them at their level and then expect you to pick them up at the end, okay? So good to have you. If you would, turn in your copy of God's Word to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We do that. You find it in the pew in front of you uh, or just turn to the copy. I'm going to read it out of the New American Standard. You turn to the copy that you uh, study and memorize, and I'll give you verse cues. We can stay together. Your understanding will be enriched. God's plan for a healthy church. Study through the books of First and Second Corinthians. Confidence in the future. Confidence in conscience. Verses eleven through thirteen will be our focus today. As we do a little bit of review, it's been about a month since we've been able to be in our verse by verse study through this letter of the Second Corinthians, particularly chapter 5, where Paul explores this confidence that he has in the future. It's been a rich study. If your responses are any indication, it's been a rich study for me as well as I am encouraged. The song we just got through singing, Death Has No Claim on Me. Amen. And when you, you can be confident to know that when you leave this earthly body, this flesh that is so temporary, that death has no claim on you. And that's really what we're going to jump right into. Paul talks about, if you would, we're going to reread verse, chapter 5, verse 1, and go on through and just do a little bit of a review. I'll do it quickly because we've been through some of these things already. There'll be some additional things, and you can make some notes. But you'll notice if you're a note taker in the bulletin, it'll be a little bit before you begin to take some new notes. So just sit back, be encouraged, be reinforced in what we've talked about over the last uh, several messages, but it's been a while since we've been there, so I want to get us back on the same page. It's a joy to do this. It's a joy to be back. We, we were at camp. We uh, had Father's Day. We had all kinds of fun stuff going on, and John spoke for us a couple of times. It was a big joy. Yeah, if you would, turn, you turn the lights back on. Thank you, Alex. Appreciate that. So we've tried a few different things recently, and you may have noticed that um, just kind of as a side note before we get into the Word, and then we'll go interrupt it from there. Um, during the time of worship, uh, musical worship, we've kind of focused, allowed it, the lights to be a little lower because we really don't need to be looking around at each other, but just really acknowledging what the Lord does in our life. And sometimes that's uh, beneficial to have the lights a little lower. It's not that what's going on stage is the thing, because if nothing's going on there, then there isn't anything going on. See, but our desire is to really join with you in worship as we play our instruments and as we sing, our focus is on the Lord. We want your focus to be on the Lord, so we've done that. Also, if you maybe noticed, we've kind of structured our songs a little bit differently and moved more towards a, a song of ascents at the beginning, if you will, as the Jews were coming towards uh, Jerusalem for the celebrations. They would sing songs about what the Lord had done for them and songs about God. And as they got closer, they would sing more about the Lord himself. And then in the Holy of Holies, that's kind of how we've tried to transition our music. And that's how we'll do it more in the future. As they move uh, to the Holy of Holies, if you will, as we do, we bro- approach boldly before the throne. Then it becomes songs to the Lord from your heart. And so our desire really is to move our minds from the day-to-day trash of the world to be able to have chance to to uh, ask for forgiveness and, and reestablish fellowship and then kind of like we do with communion, move into a time where we can really worship the Lord and lift up holy hands as for we've washed, you see. And so that's our desire and that's kind of what's going on. So if you had some questions, maybe that answers them. If you have some other uh, questions, come see me. So I'd like to, do, if you would, to turn in your copy of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. We're going to pick up for we know is where we're going to be. For we know 
that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. What a marvelous sentence that is. We know this, Paul says. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch, verse 3, as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. Verse 4, for indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Verse 5, now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Verse 6, therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 8, we are of good courage. I say and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Let's just stop right there. As we sang in that last song, Paul faced death with good courage. He had confidence. He had eagerness. He tells why he felt those things and why we can have that confidence in death. He said, first of all, we have a sure knowledge. We know this. This is common knowledge among believers. What is common knowledge? Well, if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, that implies what? It's possible that we'll die before we see Christ. It's also possible that we may be caught away to be with Christ. But either way, we have a sure knowledge. And we also know the second thing that Paul says is death is an upgrade. We have a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And then he says, for indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. And that is that idea, Paul had this confidence knowing that there's a longing that the earth can't satisfy. And the more you're in the faith and the longer you know Christ, the more you realize that these things do not satisfy. And that those things, perhaps, as you were young in the faith, that you thought were so delightful and so satisfying, you realize it's just really empty. And there are just a few things that really matter, and those things become more and more important. And Paul says he knows that. It's one of the things that makes him confident in death. We have this longing that the world can't satisfy. And then later he, he says, Now, he who prepared for us uh, for this very purpose is God. The Lord has guaranteed that the longing the world can't satisfy will be fully satisfied. He's the one that gives us this longing as he transforms us into this image of Christ, this reprint. And these longings that we have for heaven and for this new body and the longing to be free from the, uh, pers- the sin that continues to persist in our life, uh, he tells us for sure, Paul says, I'm sure that the Lord has guaranteed that this longing the world can't satisfy will be fully satisfied. And the transformation, we saw this, the transformation is God's plan and we can know it's going to happen uh, by the work we see him do in our lives. He who prepared us, verse 5 says, for this very purpose is God who gave us the spirit as a pledge. He's already set the spirit in us and the work begins to be done through the Holy Spirit and we have this longing and we know it's going to happen because we see the Holy Spirit at work. And the more the Holy Spirit's in control of you and the more that you are not quenching the spirit in your life, the more this is true in your actual feelings. It's the reality of your life regardless. But the more closely you walk with him, the more it actually feels that that's the case. And then Finally, we saw this transformation is supported by this longing that looks forward to that moment when we depart from this life because we will immediately be where? At home with the Lord. That's very clear, isn't it? We are of good courage. I say, and prefer rather, Paul says in verse 7 and verse 8, to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. And we noted 
at the end of that little section there, that if we can't say with Paul, and this is really where it really comes down to where it meets with you and how you resonate with this. If you can't say with Paul those words, I'd prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord, it betrays a few things perhaps about you. And I think it's important to think about these things. Honestly, I would say, first of all, you haven't set your affection on things above, but on things on the earth. And that's a sad thing, isn't it? A temporary earth that's going to pass away, a long tomorrow with a new remade earth, remade heaven where we'll live eternally with the Lord. So if you can't say with Paul, I prefer rather to be absent from the body, be at home with the Lord, then we perhaps set our affections not on things above, but on things of the earth. And I would say also it's a really depreciation of the glories of heaven, thinking somehow the glories of the earth would outshine them. And beloved, you can build into your children and as they grow in your students, this desire and longing for what the Lord has created. As you point out, and we love to be outdoors, and we've been outdoors since my kids were little. We point out the joys of those outdoor things and lakes and streams and, and, and hiking through the mountains and all that kind of stuff. And it's just beautiful and glorious. And we're able to do these things as a family. The Lord has richly given us all things to enjoy. But you point out that the, one, the same God who, who created this world for us to enjoy in its brokenness and it's tainted by sin and we see that often as they get older they'll see that more and more you long for the one that Lord's going to recreate which will not be tainted by sin the same one who created all these joys to be uh, to be uh, enjoyed together has created a, is going to create a whole new heaven and a whole new earth for us to enjoy for eternity so we can trust him right with the joys he's given us already and even in the tainted part of the earth that we have the Lord's going to remake it and it's going to be marvelous and so you teach your students that. So it, we depreciate the glories of heaven. If we can't sit along with Paul, I prefer rather to be absent from the body, be at home with the Lord. And it, really, I think it's an insensitivity to the comparative worthlessness of earth's treasures. You know, if the things of the earth have a hold on you, those are in comparison to the riches that come through Christ and the things that he's promised in the future. That shows this, this um, a real insens- insensitivity to what's still to come. To wish to avoid death, I think, real, re- reveals the coldness of a love for Christ because uh, death will bring us into his presence. There we will be forever, see. And to wish to, I think, uh, avoid death really reveals a little little weariness with sin. The longer you're in the faith, the more weary of sin in the flesh you get, right? And you, more and more, you recognize the things that are prevalent in your life, things you have to deal with constantly by your time in the word and by time in prayer, and you're, you're weary of it. You're weary of it. You're ready for a glorified body that no longer harbors this this, uh, this beachhead of sin in the flesh. And it'll no longer be arguing with the new you. The new you will be fully lived out in the flesh. And so I, my encouragement to you, of course, beloved, is to have that confidence. The closer you walk with them, the more time you're in the Word, the more you'll long for those things. And conversely, uh, the less time you're in the Word and the less time you spend with Him and the less time you're doing those things which which honor him, the less you'll be enamored with what's to come. And we noted at the beginning of the study, Paul faced death every day, and and any day could be his last, perhaps a little different than our experience. It never caused him to compromise his message because death wasn't any threat. So, in other words, Paul goes out and does his thing. He's under this this uh, he's under this um, threat of death every day, so he didn't have to. He just had to change his message to soften it down a little bit to make sure he was going to survive to the next day because death wasn't a threat to him. Death was a welcome friend. Death could take him where he would rather be and, beloved, make him what he'd rather become. See, And that's marvelous to think about, isn't it? And that's, a, that's really freeing, isn't it? If you're longing for the future, then you're not really too concerned about your life now. Now, obviously, from a, 
from a realistic perspective. We don't want to have a lot of pain, do we? I mean, we think about death. It's not that we're perhaps not afraid of death as much as we're afraid of the pain that might accompany it, but we trust the Lord there, don't we? We can trust the Lord that he'll give us precisely what he wishes to give us in order to bring glory and honor to his name. So death didn't cause him to change his message because it wasn't it wasn't a threat and it wasn't an enemy. It was a welcome friend because it's going to take him where he'd rather be, make him where he'd rather become. So the reality of death, the threat of death never affected his boldness. It never affected his courage. And then we came to verses 9 and 10, which we finished up with last time, which really reiterated to us a theme that really reverberates throughout the entire New Testament, which is a final judgment for every believer. Now, this is not a judgment for sin uh, because sin was dealt with on the cross when we placed our hope and our trust in a God who saves through Jesus. And so this is a judgment based on what was built on the foundation of our salvation. So look at verse 9 if you would. Look there with me. Um, therefore, therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing. So therefore, just takes us back into the verse 8 verses, right? Therefore what? Therefore, because uh, we have this final destiny coming, it's death, 10 out of 10 die, we're going to be with the Lord. Therefore, because we have this understanding, because we'd rather be absent from the body, be present with the Lord, whatever it is, whatever's going to happen, whether we're sooner or later with the Lord, therefore, we have as our ambition, whether we live longer on the earth or shorter, we have as our ambition, whether to be at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. And this issue of this final accounting now um, was a major motivating factor in Paul's life. It's this issue is, and this issue is so prevalent in the scriptures over and over and over. We really couldn't spend too much time on it because it becomes, uh, as we spend time on it, becomes more motivating. It moves to the forefront of our mind as we make our decisions and set our priorities. We begin to understand what's most important. But this issue is so prevalent in the scripture, it should be translated really well to every believer now. Because we just see it over and over. So we looked at a number of reasons why Paul could be confident in the future judgment. And they become really the waypoints for us that we can use as well. And we're going to review them rapidly because uh, if you missed any, you can go back and you can catch up online. But just obviously, just kind of to sum up uh, those verses. Number one, Paul wants us to labor. We should want to, and that is our goal, to labor in such a way that will please the Lord. That's just very obvious, right? I think everybody, if you're a believer, would say, I'd like to labor in such a way that pleases the Lord. Everybody, you know, you go to funerals and you hear people say, you know, I'm sure he heard, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, maybe. Just depends if you labored enough to please, if you labored to please the Lord, right? It might just be a welcome home, right? I mean, it's going to be home regardless, but it may not be what you think it's going to be. So we want to labor in such a way uh, that will please the Lord. And the second one was Christ's judgment is coming, and he's going to evaluate our work and recompense us for that work. Just very, very summary statements, very easy to see from those passages that that is the case. And we can see Paul's instruction and his warning all over the New Testament, uh, like places like 1 Corinthians 9.24, which we won't read in entirety today, other than to say, as Paul does, we are to run in such a way that you may win exercise self-control in all things and we he says look to an imperishable reward so paul says i run in such a way as not without a i box in such a way as not beating the air which just illustrates that principle if you're a believer do your ministry with all your effort if you want to be confident in the final judgment 
And that was Paul's, the whole emphasis here as he writes this section of the letter. If you want to be confident in that final judgment, then if you're a believer, do your ministry with all your effort. Do it as if you're training to win a contest where you give maximum effort and maximum preparation so that you're there to be a contender. Now, we looked at a parallel passage in our in this study, and it's one from 1 Corinthians 3.10. We won't go through all of it again. I'll just give some highlights because they are so important to help kind of flesh out what we're supposed to do. Each believer is building this spiritual house. I think we understand that. That The illustration is that as you do your work, the things you do with your life, whatever it is, you're building something on this foundation called Christ, this salvation foundation. And that's what we saw in our text. And that was our next confident principle. Every one of us has a ministry based on the foundation that has been laid, and we are to be careful how we build. Now, First Corinthians 3.11 says this. It says, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the foundation you're building on. If Jesus Christ's foundation is not there, you're not redeemed, and it doesn't matter what you do because you're going to be judged according to your sin. See? Now, as we were reading Way of the Master the other day, and, and they were doing the math, you know, people say that, well, I don't sin very much. Well, let's just do some math. We only sin five times a day. You know, by the time you get to the end of the year, you're at 27,000 times. I mean, it gets pretty expensive pretty fast, okay? So, the deal is that there's this foundation, and it's Christ. So, this is talking to believers. Those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior, those have had a foundation laid, this salvation, and everything you do after that according to Paul's illustration, is building on that foundation of Christ. And there are a number of things that you can use to build with. If any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it's to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. So Paul laid in Corinth the foundation of Christianity, and and it's the gospel of Jesus which led to his salvation. That's the foundation. Then verse 12 says, Now if any man builds, he builds on that foundation with a variety of building materials. Now, we have noticed there is listed for us a number of things, and it falls to you to build with them. And it's going to be some of those things. Whatever it is that you're going to do is either going to pull from things that burn or pull from things that last. And we saw that Paul gives another basis for confidence, and and it's this indwelling spirit from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, which as you pray and you go to work doing the things the Lord wants you to do, the Holy Spirit uh, allows you to go well beyond what you can think about or even ask to think about. So God's resources are yours. We're all building with the same resources, and the Lord wants to do abundantly beyond what you can ask or think. And so he's in favor of you building well. He's set it up so that you can. He's giving you the Holy Spirit to guide you to do just that. He's given his word so you know what it says, and you just go to work prioritizing your life over the course of your life. And you are in that, as you do day by day, you are building on that foundation. I think that's fairly clear. So it falls on you to build. Now, as we said, only the Lord can correctly evaluate the house because that's the first question that comes up. Well, how do I know what I built with? I mean, how do I know if it's, you know, wood, hay, and straw. How do I know if it's gold, silver, and costly stone? Well, he's the only one that can truly know the difference between mud and marble. We can't. It's impossible for us to look into someone's life and and specifically see and always be right about what's being built with because we don't know motives. We don't know all that stuff, okay? But the Lord knows that. And, and last time we saw three or uh, four areas of true evaluation, so we'll review them quickly. The first one was labor. Labor. That's the first area of evaluation where the Christian life is producing building material. First Corinthians chapter three, verse eight, he who plants, he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. And particularly here, this is the labor of planting the seeds of the gospel and the watering of the plants in discipleship. So you build with gold, silver, costly stone when you what? You tend the store here, okay? The Great Commission, 
preach the gospel, teach them to obey everything, baptizing them. That doesn't just fall to those who are elders here. It doesn't just fall to the Sunday school teachers who are here. It falls to everybody. That's everybody's great commission. To go and give out the gospel, and then, as they come to faith, teach them everything that Christ has taught you, and see them baptized. That's your job, my job, everybody's job. When you do that, the more you do that, the more you're building with what? Gold, silver, costly stone. The less you do that, the more you're building with wood, hay, and stubble. Okay, so think about it in your mind. When's the last time you actually gave out the gospel? I'm not talking about standing in line saying, well, praise the Lord, it's a really sunny day. Okay, that's not giving out the gospel. Okay, so when's the last time you gave out the gospel? When you gave out the gospel, beloved, regardless of what the response was, you built on that spiritual foundation, gold, silver, costly stone, which will last. So keep that in mind. It's your main reason why you were left here. Be about it. And those that work hardest at those things lay up for themselves those very costly building materials. And that was our sixth confidence and final judgment principle. If you want to be confident in judgment, if you're looking forward to that day when you'll stand before Christ, when he evaluates everything you do, be about being a witness. Be about being a witness. Start with people who are close to you at camp at the end of uh, our camp time. David Platt asked each person to bow their head as we talked about this great commission. And he asked you to think about one person in your life who does not know Christ as their Savior. And and he gave us a time to speak that name before the Lord. Everybody together, 3,000 students, everybody spoke the name of somebody who they have not witnessed to but you need to witness to. And then that became your task when you went home. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? That's the beginning. There are many people the Lord's going to bring into your path. If you're light and you've been taken from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, there's ways that people will see that, and then you can tell them about that good news. And you can craft that conversation to include spiritual things. It just takes practice. We took our students out on the beach, and Jason and Amy take them regularly every quarter out to witness. But we went out on the beach at Myrtle Beach, and we went out to small groups, and we witnessed to people who were on the beach. It doesn't take very long. And guess what? Many people are very interested in talking to you about spiritual things. They've got tons of questions, or at least they want to air out their own thoughts about it, which just segues right into you giving them what the Bible says. So be about those things because that is how you build with the type of material that you're going to want to have at the end. So we saw that, and uh, we saw that uh, there are some other ways that the Lord uses, and one of them is motive. And Paul warned every believer very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, that there is... Motive is the way the Lord looks at how you're doing what you're doing and, and determines what you're building with. And, and that passage says, Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. So here's the deal. The Lord keeps track of two things that are important to motive and are part of the building process, which we will be judged. Things hidden, that's something someone wants to keep uh, sealed from someone else. And those could be good things. Uh, they could be things that are anonymous. They could be things that you're praying for somebody. You just want to keep that from them. You just want to bless them in that way. You're taking care of some need for somebody, whatever it is. Good thoughts, diligent prayers, whatever. And it could be bad. Okay, you know, those things that, uh, uh, those things that are hidden could be hidden uh, thoughts about somebody that aren't nice. It could be uh, the ways that you judge someone in your own mind. God knows what you, and this is very clear, God knows what you secretly think about. You know, if you think about this, you're never alone, okay? Did you, you, you knew this, right? I mean, the Lord, with his Holy Spirit in, residing in you, you are before his throne as if you were before his throne all the time. You, you understand that, I think, very clearly. Spirit of the risen Christ lives in you. Whatever you do, you're doing before the throne anyway. Okay? So it shouldn't surprise us that the Lord knows what we think about 
something, and, and he, it shouldn't surprise us that he knows the things that are hidden in our own heart. So it shouldn't surprise us that he can evaluate then correctly uh, why we're doing what we're doing. God knows what you think about secretly. He knows what you say to yourself about it. And then the second thing about hidden things that you, you know, we can commonly say, uh, if it's, those things are bad, then what are you building with? You're building with wood and hay and straw, and that's not going to last. The second word is the word motive, which is the word boule, which is actually the Greek noun for counsels. So it should bring to light those things hidden in darkness and disclose the counsels and hearts. In other words, what do you say about what you're doing? How did you decide that you were going to do it? Why did you do what you did? Why are you doing something? That's the issue here. So you counseled in your own heart. You decided to do something. What was the reason? See, was it because somebody expected you to do it? Was it because your husband or your wife kind of pressured you into doing it? Was it because you saw a need nobody else was going to do it? So I guess I'm going to have to do it. See, or, or and there's a dozen uh, more than a dozen other ways you could respond that way. See, and so the Lord, or you could be saying, I just want to bless, you know, it could be positive too. I just, I want to be a blessing to the church and I want to do this. I, I know that my spiritual gifts uh, in this area are weak, but I still want to give them and I want to do it so that somebody comes away with a blessing. See. I mean, there's all kinds of counsels that you have, and it shouldn't surprise you that the Lord knows all those counsels. And so he evaluates them, uh, evaluates us and our building material there. And so that seventh confidence and final judgment principle, you want to be confident in judgment, then continually bring your attitude into biblical alignment, okay? And take captive those thoughts that betray fleshliness. Don't let yourself go off on those kinds of thoughts about other people, okay? Or the reason why, what you feel about some certain thing. Now, obviously, as we saw, Scripture indicates true evaluation in conduct, and these seem to overlap a little bit, but it actually uses the word, so first, from Second Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for the deeds in his body. His deeds in his body, that's conduct. In other words, uh, according to what he's done, whether good or bad. So these things uh, we've done physically, and the way we live our life in the day-to-day, and how we conduct it. So it's just very, very simple. What's your day look like on a day-to-day basis? Is it wood, hay, straw, gold, silver, costly stone? Good or bad? And we saw that these words in context are just adjectives describing the work of the believer. They sound like they, they give the impression of moral good and moral evil, but it's really not that at all. And really in context, they're adjectives describing the work. Agathos, things that are excellent. Folos, the things that are worthless, of no account. You're being judged on your physical actions, how you spend your time. And so that principle really can't come together. If you want to be confident in the final judgment, Evaluate what you're doing in relation to clear biblical instruction. How do you spend your day? How are you, uh, how are you taking that time the Lord's given you and using it? And then don't waste a moment. So don't, don't be caught up with worthless things. Yes, there's lots of mundane things that have to be happen for you to take care of your family and for you to do your job and all that. The Lord knows all that. And you work hard and you adorn the gospel and all that. But, the, but the, I think the issue is, is that on the day-to-day, deeds done in the body, how you spend your time, what you do privately, what you do publicly, those things the Lord uses to evaluate you. Okay, so bring them in alignment to clear biblical instruction. Make sure you're not doing something he's told. Make sure you're not doing something he's told you not to do. Make sure you're doing the things he's told you to do. Okay. Now, next we saw the Lord evaluates building material through ministry, a ministry evaluation. That should be just obvious to us, right? Because he wants us to be about the ministry uh, to other believers and to the world. And so uh, if you want to be confident then in this final judgment, first realize that the use of your spiritual gifts is the supreme way that God wants to use you. He has gifted you in certain ways. When you came to salvation, you received gifts based on your uh, on your faith, based on your nature. The Lord has put this wonderful thing together that's you. 
And if you're not serving somewhere, we're missing out. Okay, we're missing out the gift in the gifts the Lord has given to you, and you're missing out in investing yourself in such a way that you're building on this foundation with gold, silver, and costly stone. So the Lord wants you to use your spiritual gifts, and your biggest blessing of obedience is going to be found when you are functioning that way. And next, realize, without a doubt, that if you build your spiritual house with the right materials, God has explicitly stated that you'll be rewarded for those sacrifices and those efforts. That's at the end of that verse. See, you'll be recompensed for the deeds in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. So the bad is not moral bad. It's just worthless in the end, it adds up to nothing. It's going to be judged by fire and won't still remain when, you're, when we're all done judging. So you want the good, plenty of good things to remain, see? But the Lord says, I'm going to recompense you for those deeds. And so very important that we keep that in mind. Now, it's great motivation. Now, at the end, you, you may have much of your house left. You may have only a little piece of precious stone here or a little hunk of gold left on the foundation. When the fire's done and God will say, there's your reward. This is what's left, and I'll reward you according to that. And uh, uh, that's what, exactly what it says in verse 15. It says, if any man's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. And that shouldn't surprise us, right? Because your salvation is eternal. You are secure in the Lord. And so you're not losing your salvation, but the things you, many of the things you spent your life doing, perhaps most of them could be burned up. Perhaps most of them will remain, just depending on what your motives were, depending on what your conduct was, you know, all of those things. And so very, very clear. Some buildings escape the fire with a little left over, some with a lot, perhaps everyone with something. There's always going to be some little thing, perhaps, that you did. Now, you may wonder what the rewards are going to be. And we're going to cover these very briefly uh, because we've taken some time with them already. But I want to remind you that uh, there are a number of rewards spoken of in the scriptures and there may be many, many more that we don't understand or or the Lord has not seen fit to reveal to us yet. He's going to wait. But we know that it's a position of ruling. I I certainly think it's very clear that uh, as a result of being faithful in a little, I'll give you charge of much. And so we see that many times as it relates to money. You use even a little that you have. The Lord gives you uh, gives you uh, charge over a lot. And so we'll go back over that today. But First Timothy chapter six verse seventeen syndic- indicate a position or a residence as a as a result of reward. It seems likely that there's going to be praise, glory, and honor according to First Peter six one six and seven. So in other words, the Lord is asking us your name and give you honor and 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 uh, recognize what you've done what you did in secret what hurt what hurt you so much what took so much time what what effort you gave that was sacrificial the lord makes that public and so as a result of sacri- facing difficult times i think the lord does that but scriptures also speak of the rewards taking the form of crowns and we talked about these and they there are imperishable crown from first corinthians nine twenty five, and that's for those who labor well Laboring as you would train for an important race. We saw that already. The crown of righteousness for 2 Timothy 4.8. That's for those who, by their actions and priorities, show they're looking forward to Jesus' return. Righteousness is for those who live in such a way that they're going to rejoice when Christ comes. Okay, Many people can say, I can't wait for Christ to come. But when they're, the way they're living, you're going to find out when they go through the final judgment, they don't have anything left. That won't be that joyful. That'll be kind of sorrowful. But here, the crown of righteousness is for those who live and prioritize their life in such a way that they're looking forward to Jesus' return. And then we saw the crown of rejoicing, 1 Thessalonians 2.19. That's for those that labor hard, giving out the gospel and watering all those people in the eternal kingdom who are there because of your efforts. And so it gets right back to what we talked about before. There's a crown of rejoicing for those who labor hard in the gospel. It's not going to be forgotten. The Lord knows what you did. And people will be in the kingdom because of your efforts. What a marvelous thing that is, right? 
because of your efforts and you're faithfully giving out the gospel because you taught that Sunday school class and you discipled that kid and they grew up to be a, a, a tremendous evangelist in their workplace or they grew up to be a pastor or they did uh, they become a missionary, whatever it is, and all that goes to your credit and the Lord forget any of that. See? And then First Peter 5, 4, there's a crown of glory. That's for those who are faithful pastors and shepherds and overseers uh, who do it with the right attitude, the right motivation, laboring along with the church. And then we saw in James chapter 1, verse 12, the crown of life for all who love Jesus sacrificially and have to endure hardship to serve him. And perhaps that falls on, uh, perhaps will fall on people who, who perhaps are living in a, on a foreign mission field or having very difficult times to doing that. It could fall on those who live here. If you're loving Jesus sacrificially and you have to endure hardship to serve him, I think that crown of life will be part of the reward. And so no doubt there are, are other ways the Lord will reward uh, the remains of the building. And, uh, and these next three principles really helped to motivate Paul. I'll just list them quickly. Two negatives and a positive. And we looked at them already in the supporting passages. So I'll just give you the principles that we saw captured there at the end of that study last time. It's, it's possible. The, the first one was a warning. It's possible to build something and not receive a reward for it. And I think that's just obvious. But I think it's important to say it's a, you could be laboring hard about something and you're not going to receive a single thing for it for the reasons we just gave. Uh, number two, you can be talked into doing something that's worthless. So it's important to evaluate who you're serving with in the ministry uh, and that you're focused on the correct things. All right. It's not just a social gospel. It's the gospel gospel. Okay. So make sure you're doing things that are that are not worthless. And then this last one, the rewards that you receive for building with the right materials in whatever form they take. This, this is so encouraging, I think. Whatever form they take, whatever the reward is, however it works out, because we can only capture the things that we can see in the Scriptures and we know that the Lord is rich and abundant in His blessing and He comes ready to give uh, reward. I'm coming quickly. Behold, my reward is with me. And so the Lord is going to do that. And however that works out, it will, number one, last for eternity. Not temporary stuff here. The long tomorrow and it lasts the whole time. And number two, it's going to somehow work out to his praise, his glory, and his honor. So all throughout the long tomorrow, all throughout eternity, you're giving him glory, honor, and praise in such a way that you wouldn't have done had you not lived your life in the way that you did. Okay? And so, beloved, isn't isn't that something you, you long to do? I mean, as you just kind of think about how busyness of life just kind of forces in things that are just worthless a lot of times. And you can, you can, by evaluation, you can start to slim those down. Because I think you're going to, when it comes time to do this, the main thing you're going to want to do is fall at Jesus' feet and worship him and offer him anything you could have accomplished in this life and, and walk around heaven and the new earth showing everyone how great he is. That's precisely what you're going to want to do. And you will have no ability to impact how you can do that once the long tomorrow begins. See? And another reason that, you know, you, don't you want to slide them across a portion of the sea of glass? We looked at this last time. Take your crown and present them to the Lord, whatever that crown was, uh, right before his throne in praise and adoration and thankfulness for all that he's done. So pattern your life from this point on in such a way that you'll have a crown or more. To show him that you labored to please him and that it mattered that Christ's judgment was coming and you lived Beloved, you lived knowing he was going to evaluate your work and recompense you for that work. You lived that way, see? We're going to see that in just a minute in our next, in our next point. And, and, and you were careful about how you built on the foundation of salvation. And, and rely, beloved, rely on the Holy Spirit to go well beyond what you could think about or even ask to think, to think to ask about. Because God's resources are your resources. So consult the Holy Spirit as you pray. Lord, I really want to be, I want to be useful to you. Show me what, how I can do that. 
how I can invest my life for things that matter. And labor for the gospel and for discipleship, first and foremost. Tend that store before all others. He who wins souls is wise. Scripture says, be about that. And God, you ask God to reveal motives in your life. Desiring purity. And, and purity in thought. Have Him reveal that to you as you do the things that you do. Okay? Some of you have been believers a long time and you have done so many things over the years. And perhaps you've got to the point where you're just like, oh man, it's just another, another VBS season or it's another Awana season or it's a, you know, more Sunday school class teaching or it's nursery duty for me. You know, reevaluate where the motivation to do the things you're doing is coming from so that you can get credit as you build on that foundation with gold, silver, and costly stone. And use, you know, use your spiritual giftedness with diligency and fervency. You know, in the back of that, there's a card in the chair in front of you. And on the back of that, it, it says, I'd like to serve. Find a place where you'd be interested. Let us know. Plug yourself in. There's a lot of places where you can plug in. And, and there's a lot of ways that you can serve. And I encourage you over and over to do this. Why? Because this is why we're here, beloved. And there's going to be a day when all that's going to be evaluated. Don't let someone talk you into doing emptiness, empty tasks. Don't let somebody talk you into doing uh, what's worthless. Be motivated by the reality that the rewards you receive will last for eternity and work out for to His praise, honor, and glory. And in that way, in that way, beloved, you build what is appropriate for God's building and for God's temple. And, and don't forget, Scripture says that's who you are in reality. You're, you're actually God's temple, see. Paul says that's, that's your next confidence in your future judgment. Live your reality. You are God's temple. You're building this house. This is your reality. It's how the Lord looks at you. See? That's a great thought. It's a great thought. That, you know, when you, when you sum up your life like this, you live your life as if you were God's temple, you really sum up everything we've talked about. That's kingdom living. Okay? That's living for a future kingdom. That's living for someone who has, who has said, this is what I require of you and you want to do it. See? Not because you're earning your salvation because we couldn't do anything for that. We've received our salvation but because we're thankful, we offer up ourselves as a spiritual sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to the Lord. So that's kingdom living. And as an individual, you are the temple of God. You knew that, right? 1 Corinthians 6.19 Paul talks about it as he talks about purity and, all, and the things that can be done in the body. He says basically the same thing. 1 Corinthians 6.19 and 20. He says do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price? Therefore, glorify God in your body. Obviously, speaking here of sexual impurity, that violates God's clear instruction. So as you're involved sexually, impurely, what are you building with? Wood, hay, straw. See? That's, that's what happens. That, you know, you're, spinning, you're not looking at your conduct from an eternal perspective. You're looking at your conduct from a temporary satisfaction. See? It's going to matter someday. You're going to wish that that hadn't been wasted. Go back from now on and make sure that you're building with other material. Okay? And so, 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul says, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? You're a temple, present, active, indicative. Dwells in you, present, active, indicative. And those two verbs really set up this next warning in verse 17 that has a reference to unbelievers because um, it's talking about, and not about builders, but about those who don't build anything, but instead tear down. And, and we're going to look at this just as a footnote because it shows God's jealousy for what's being built. And I think this will help us kind of swing back into the next section. But verse 17 says, If any man destroys the temple of God, uh, God will destroy him. That's verse 17. So this passage has unbelievers in view. 
they can be outside the church, they can be inside the church, and uh, so this building is going on, and they destroy what believers are building, and that is a confidence principle number 15 if you're keeping track. It's a hope you hold on to when things are tough, God has promised to bring to destruction those who harm the building process on this foundation of Christ. It's just kind of a, it's a footnote uh, to all that Paul has said, but it's an important footnote. Uh, there appears to be an application to the corporate body as well as the individual believer. The Lord knows who's interrupting this process of building. The Lord knows who's, who's misdirecting this process, tearing things down. And if you think about all those believers together, building a spiritual house that God will someday judge and bring a reward for what's left, it's not hard to understand that he's very jealous for the corporate body as well. Right? If he's jealous for your own work, and he's prepared you beforehand for works of service. And then he's going to keep track of how you do it and why you do it and all the motivation because he wants to reward you for what's left. It shouldn't surprise us that he's jealous for the corporate body as well, right? For the temple of God is holy and that's what you are, see? So in the Old Testament, what, what could happen to somebody who went into the Holy of Holies? I mean, they could pay for it with their, with their life, right? Um, if you want to make an offering and you were unclean, you could be killed. And the Lord was very clear about this in Leviticus and Numbers, if you've read through those. Remember Nadab and Abihu? This is one of the scariest, one of those scary stories, kind of like out of Acts when you, when you had, uh, you know, an offering and then, uh, they were asked about it and they lied about it. It's just one of those things where you see the holiness of God give us an example. Nadab and Abihu are pretty important. The Lord had laid down what was supposed to be given as an offering of incense and he gave precise prescription and, and a uh, recipe for how it's supposed to be made. And so Nadab and Abihu, they were kind of fooling with it. And they, they thought they developed something that smelled better, perhaps, or something that was their own concoction. And so Nadab and Abihu, uh, they're sons of Aaron. They were supposed to minister before the temple, tabernacle, and uh, took their respective fire pans. And after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So all they did is they changed the incense recipe to make it smell a little bit different than what the Lord had prescribed. He's very clear about what was supposed to go in the incense pan. If you're going to worship the Lord in the tabernacle, you're going to minister before him as a son of Aaron. You had a specific job to do. It had to be a certain way. He was very clear about it. And there was no, you know, just figure it out for yourself and kind of put in whatever you think. Okay. And there's a ton of connections here, and I'm sure you're making them, so I don't have to, okay? It's not just about what you want to do. Even in the New Covenant, where we approach boldly before the throne, and the the curtain is rent in two, and the Holy Holies is before us because Christ is our mediator. Even in the New Covenant, it's not just all about what you want to do, okay? And we live in a very narcissistic society that just does, does what they want to do, and your own truth is your truth to you, and all that stuff. But listen, that's baloney, When it comes to your Christian faith, the Lord has said, this is what we want. So here, though, in this old covenant, he's commanded what's supposed to be presented. And so they put what they want in there, and it wasn't what the Lord commanded them. And what happened? Verse 2, fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. That was probably pretty ugly. I would hate to have seen that. And terrifying, right? Terrifying. And then Moses said to Aaron... It is what the Lord spoke saying, mark this, by those who come near me, I'll be treated as holy and before all the people, I'll be honored. What was the point he was trying to make? I prescribed how the worship was supposed to go here in the tabernacle. It wasn't open to negotiation or to your own interpretation. He said, this is what you'll present before me if you minister before me as the son of Aaron. And they didn't. And the Lord rejected it and took their lives, right? 
that will get your attention. If your children of Israel in the wilderness and two of your priests are consumed by fire, everybody wants to know what happened. And so Moses is clear. This is what the Lord says. By those who come near me, I'll be treated as holy. Before all the people, I'll be honored. God gave his people specific instructions. His tabernacle and later the temple, they're holy. Don't defile them. High priest was only went in once a year, only after many, many steps to make sure that he did what the Lord had commanded. He covered his, his own sin with blood, and he's going to present this uh, blood for the people. And if he went in there and his life wasn't right, he'd die on the spot. And, and that's why they had a rope around one of his ankles so that if he died, they could pull him out because nobody could go in there and get him. So pretty strict, right? So what Christ has done on the cross is pretty significant, isn't it? Allows us access. But is it the same God who, who required holiness? And has he not said in the New Testament, Be ye holy for I am holy, says the Lord? Now think about that. In light of what Paul just said to the Corinthian believers about being a temple of God and holiness, they and all believers by virtue of the death of Christ on the cross are forever delivered from God's wrath. Forever. However, and I want you to think about these points. Do you think that God is less jealous of his spiritual house than he was of his earthly one? Do you? Is he less jealous of his spiritual house here than he was of his earthly one? Is he less jealous of his spiritual temple, the redeemed, than he was of his tabernacle made with animal skins or the temple made of stone? No. He's not less jealous, is he? Because they both house the same thing, don't they? God is more jealous of the purity of his church. Even Paul said that Christ came that he might present to himself the church in all, his go- in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and blameless. So how concerned do you think you can say the Lord is about what we do with the time that we have as we lay on the foundation of Christ? How, how concerned do you think he is? So just like, uh, well, you know, they're close. I don't. I don't think. I don't think that's that lackadaisical attitude is reflective of what the Lord's attitude about it is at all. The fact that Christ has mediated for us and was our substitution has separated us from the wrath of God forever, and there's no condemnation. But does that change what the Lord expects from us? See, that's why it was so motivating for Paul. I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and all my works will be revealed, and I want them all to what. To last for his honor and glory. Why? Because that means the time that I spent through my whole life was used well. And I think that's far from the modern church's mind. Not far from your mind, because we've been over it a bunch of times. But far from the the mind of the modern church. And we just live however we want to live. And we think, well, God will just accept me. Yes, if you've redeemed, he will bring you into his kingdom with your robe of righteousness. And that's it. It's important, see, God wants a pure church. He doesn't look kindly on anybody who comes against his church to defile it or destroy it. And somebody who comes along and tries to undo what God's done, somebody who's come along, tries to hinder the work of the church, somebody who comes along and tries to hinder believers building their spiritual house, sets himself up in a position to be destroyed by God. And any believer that walks along there and does whatever they want, for this reason, some are you are weak and some are sick and some sleep. If you don't come before the communion table, having rightly evaluated your life, and the Lord says, and sometimes I'll judge you, and that will be an indication that you were mine. But I wasn't content with you staying in the same form of life that you were in. 
so Paul's like, man, this, I'm all about this. So beloved, this is Paul's first instruction on the judgment seat of Christ. There's coming a day of judgment and then reward. And it's going to come right after Christ catches the church away. So there won't be any time for checking things out right before he comes or after you've gone. The day is at hand right now. See, it'll happen quickly. If it happened today, if it happened today, what would the sum of your life be? If it happened right now, there's no fixing it after it happens. See? What with all the building you've been doing since, what will happen with all the building you've been doing since salvation? What will that amount to? And I trust you'll have some crowns. And perhaps you've been faithful in a little, so, so God will put you in charge of a lot. Now, just have a few minutes, so I, this, the end of this passage segues really well right into the next section, so I want to get into it. So we're going to pick up in verse 11. Paul moves into this next section of verse 11, really, really crosses over, makes a great bridge from verse 10. And in the time we have left, we're going to get started on this next section of Paul's confidence, and it has to do with his conscience. Okay, It's, it's one thing to begin to think about final judgment and how you're doing those things. It's another thing to be thinking about as you come before the Lord on a day-to-day basis, can you have a good conscience about what, how you spent your life? And so Paul moves into this conscience thing. It's a topic that's not new to us. This is a, this is a confidence that Paul had to make clear a good bit. Uh, Paul was pers- personally attacked. His character was attacked. He was questioned. He was maligned. He was gossiped about regularly. And so he sometimes came to the point where he would declare that it didn't matter what was said. His confidence in how he spent his ministry life was solid. And so this is confidence and conscience. And we're going to look at that now. Look at verse 11, if you would. I love this. This passage is marvelous. This is so great. This, again, so far from the, from, the, from the mind of the modern church. Listen to how he starts verse 11. Therefore, therefore what? Therefore, because you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, right? And everything we just got, ta- we got through talking about, therefore, and then what does he say? What's the next part? Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. We're going to come back to that. You can bet on that. But we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. We are not, again, commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. Stop right there. We're going to go through those passages, I guarantee it. But it's clear to Paul what his motivation to do ministry really is. What is it? Therefore, knowing the what? What? So he's going to persuade men because he knows what? The fear of the Lord. That's pretty important, I would think. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. There because we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and that should strike a little terror into our heart. Right? We should be concerned. Uh, we just looked at, it, at, uh, at a couple of priests in the Old Testament who didn't have enough concern in their heart about what they were doing before the Lord and what happened. We have a couple of people bringing an offering in the New Testament and they weren't too concerned about what the Lord thought about it and what happened to them. So again, the Lord makes this point clear. So therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. Of course, uh, you know, the old Bible study standard, whenever you see the word therefore, you look and see what it's there for. The word therefore indicates that Paul is about to say, follows what, from what he said in verse 10. It can't mean anything else. Appearing before the judgment seat of Christ. Catch that. You know, does that motivate you? Now we noted he's not fearful of condemnation. And neither should you be. But he nevertheless is concerned lest he forfeits commendation. That's what he's worried about missing out on. See? 
And it's with this awareness that he persuades men. And again, we can point out that this is a final day of reckoning is the major motivation for all that Paul does. And we can just see this over and over. He, he says it in different ways. It appears to be the, the, the major motivation for everything he does. And that fear, that's the noun phobos. That's where we derive our word phobia. It has its basis in terror, something that would prompt flight to get away, something that's so terrible you would run as hard as you could. And that is our first confidence in conscience principle. Paul recognizes that his whole life and ministry will come under God's scrutiny. So, if you want to have a good conscience about how you've lived your life for the future, let your ministry be motivated by what? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. As it's used of the believer in relation to God, it's more of a reverential awe. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. should concern us, though, that we're going to stand before Him, right? We know that we're no longer under condemnation, but when we think about what our relationship to God used to be like, it should concern us that we're going to stand before a Lord who has forgiven us. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30, it's a great illustration. It comes from a chapter that gives the choice, Jesus or judgment. makes this case pretty well when the writer says, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people Verse 31, it's a terrifying thing to fall. That's our word. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We don't run in terror, but we still live with reverential awe. And as Peter says in 1 Peter 1.17, he says, if you address as Father, this is so great, if you address as Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, and we just got through talking about all of that. We didn't even look at this verse. You call Father, in other words, you call Father, so you have an intimate relationship with the one who's going to judge every man's work. If you are there, if that's your relationship, then what? Conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Why? Because you have an intimate relationship with God of the universe. You call him Father and you talk with him. And because that's your relationship, what should dominate your thoughts as you live out your life? A reverential fear of final judgment. A reverential fear of final judgment. That all is going to be called into account. And perhaps that's something that we've lost in our modern Christianity. A reverential fear. It was the topic of many of David's songs. It's um, unfortunately absent in most of our modern songs. Psalm chapter 25 verse 14. A few other verses give us some corollary benefits to the fear of the Lord. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him and he will make them know his covenant. The Lord, in other words, gives understanding to those who stand in awe of him. That's a great corollary benefit, isn't it? Not only should you be in reverential fear because there's a judgment, but if you're in reverential fear of the Lord, he gives you understanding. That could be useful in ministry, don't you think? I mean, if you're doing your ministry, you should be concerned about standing before the Lord of judgment. And because you're concerned about it, you're going to do a better job and... That can be super useful because the Lord gives you understanding about how to do that better job. So the Lord's in favor of you. He wants you to do well, uh, but he's made it clear what we're supposed to do. Psalm 33, 8, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Everyone should fear the Lord. The unredeemed should be terrified of him, but mostly they're not. They sin at a rapid rate. They're not concerned about his law. They blaspheme his name and provoke him, and that will lead to a most unpleasant future meeting. But 
What is the reality of the redeemed? Psalm 103, verse 17. But the loving kindnesses of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children. In other words, let the motivation of the future and that future reckoning be the preeminent thought in your mind and the present and future benefits are wonderful. If that future reckoning is the preeminent thought in your mind, then the future reckoning is going to be, and the benefits from that are going to be wonderful. And beloved, and we're going to stop because we're out of time. Lead, lead your family. Start by leading your family that way, okay? Parents, you know, you'll find the ripples of that benefit with your grandchildren. Loving kindnesses of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. And His righteousness to children's children. Did you know if you, if you communicate that reverential fear of the Lord to your children when they're young, that someday there'll be a future reckoning. That that ripples on down, according to this passage, maybe to your, even to your grandchildren. The impact of the fact that the Lord is active and interested in what goes on. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Start with your family, move out from there. With that, we're going to close for today. Leave time for a mission moment. So if you'd bow with me, I'd like you to pray together with me. Don't, don't let anything, don't let anything... Um, take your attention from this time and not even my words, beloved. Uh, speak as the Holy Spirit has prompted you to speak. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will confirm and become active in our own heart concerning a fear of a future judgment. That's our desire. That's my desire. That as I plan my day and my week and my year and as I place priorities on how I want to spend my time, Lord, help that thought to at first probably intrude, but then become embraced. A future reckoning that will inspire reverential awe because of whom I will stand before And Father, we know that as we do that, that will take care of the sloppiness in our lives. The disregard for the minutia, the the, uh, kind of an uh, unconcerned, uh, laissez-faire way to approach how we spend our time and what we do. Wasted moments with our children, it will take care of those. It's not to waste any of those. It will take care of the irresponsible way we handle your word or manage our ministry if in our foremost of our mind that future reckoning is there and inspires reverential awe it will take care of the irresponsible way we can manage your word it's going to build a new urgency into our step a realization that that time is short before we see you if that reverential awe of a future judgment is primary help us to see by your spirit those motivations and thoughts behind the things that we do and bring them into conformity. And and Lord, help us to conduct ourselves here because we can talk to you like this and call you Father with reverential fear due to you because we know that the day is already spent and we'll soon meet you face to face. And Father, I pray that you'll help it to be a day of rejoicing that we are able to retain much of what we worked for and spent our time on that we may present those rewards to you for your worthy
you're worthy. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Who accomplished all this potential for us by his death and his resurrection. It's in his matchless name, precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.